Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from NAM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's begin. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be talking about how we can unite homeowners and land trusts trusts through conservation easements and we're talking to Casey Markle who is the conservation associate at Allegheny Land Trust and you might recognize Allegheny Land Trust because we actually talked to um, Julie Travellini last week about sustainable home landscaping and um, balancing responsible land use and environmental conservation so this is actually part two of two episodes so if you want to listen to the first episode with Julie head back to last week in the feed and um You'll find it there. Um, but um, I'd love to learn more about you, Casey. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Great. Um, do you mind, you know, introducing yourself in a bit more detail um, about who you are and why you're here today? For sure. Um, my name's Casey Marple. Um, I am the conservation associate at the Allegheny Land Trust. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about what a land trust does um, in a little bit. But um, I primarily do uh, land conservation work and um, land acquisition. Um, so just the legal kind of work involved with acquiring land. That sounds complicated. Is it complicated? <laughs> it can be, yes. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't I don't um, have any property. I don't know how to um, I don't know, give property away. I don't know any of the laws surrounding that. So I'm looking forward to learning a bit more because I guess a dream would be to, you know, have some land and maybe to, um, you know, conserve that land and do something great with it one day. Still living in an apartment at the moment. Um, But before we do get into this topic in a bit more detail, um, we're going to do a section that we call Have You Met Casey, where we get to know you through some of your favorite things. Um, So first thing we'd like to know is what is your favorite book? Um, you know, I, I'm going to do a shameless plug for um, for Julie. Uh, she recently uh, published a book called uh, Super Skills of Backward, or Backyards Bugs. And I just absolutely love it because it's so poetic and the pictures are just so interesting to look at. And I'm a very visual person. So um, I would say that's my favorite thing that I've read. Okay, great. Um, yes, I heard about that book. Um, Julie obviously um, wrote that book and created the book. Um, and it sounds really great. Um, so we'll have to uh, make sure that we, um, I, I'll have to have a look and have to order it through some, um, have to order it through online somehow. And I'll have to have a look. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, and what about a movie you've enjoyed recently? Um, so for environmental, uh, Last year, I saw um, a movie called Wings Over Water. Um, it was just a really beautiful visual representation of, um, you know, why why we should want to conserve land. You know, just the beauty of nature and 
um, just very visual. And like I said, I'm a very visual person. So just seeing those different landscapes were, was really moving to me. Um, I'd say uh, the most recent movie that I've actually seen that isn't necessarily environmental was um, I saw the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And I don't think I've ever had a movie make me cry. <laughs> and I was actually crying during that movie. So it's pretty good. Okay, I actually haven't heard much about this one. I've I obviously heard a lot about the first one, um, not much about the third one, and I haven't watched it yet. So um, that's good to hear. I mean, a movie that makes you cry is supposed to be good, right? Absolutely, it was okay. it was good tears, sad but good tears. Okay, okay, I'll um, I'll uh, watch it this weekend, I think. Um, and what about podcasts? Do you listen to any at the moment? Honestly, no, but um, I might have a new podcast that I'm going to have to start listening in on. Ah, great. Uh, this one? Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting you into the world of podcasts because every week our guests, um, they always come up with an interesting podcast. And a lot of the time they are specific to the industry. I had no idea there were so many different podcasts about so many specific industries. Um, so yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this one and I think you're going to find a lot more podcasts through this one as well. <laughs> Sounds great. My commute to work is very long. It's an hour and a half drive to and then an hour and a half back. Um, I only go in twice a week. Um, usually so, but I'm always looking for something to listen to on my drive in. So oh, that'll be perfect. Podcasts are great for, for long commutes and an hour and a half drive. Wow. That's a long, <laughs> that's a long distance to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to eventually move a little closer to, to the office, but, um, it's been working well so far. So, yeah, it is a good chance to, you know, catch up with, you know, um, if you listen to books or podcasts or music, that's what I like to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Um, and do you have a role model? My role mod model is, um, this is going to sound cliche, but it, it's my mom. Um, mm -hmm. Always been there for me, supported me, everything that I've wanted to do in my career, um, uncertainties, always had the right answer and the, the right thing to tell me to, to keep moving forward in my ambitions. So. Oh, that's lovely. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's cliche, but you know what? It's cliche for a reason. Um, our parents and our moms are so integral to who we are and um, they obviously impact us so, so much and you want to celebrate, you know, you're really great parents. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and have you completed any courses that have inspired you? Um, so in high school, um, I did a capstone course um, and that's kind of what got me interested in the environmental field um, it was you had to apply for it and it was pretty competitive to get into um, but you know I always liked you know running around outside exploring the streams and the woods and this class did exactly that you know <laughs> traipsing around in the stream looking for macroinvertebrates learning environmental issues and so I think that propelled me into the field that I'm in currently. Um, and then I also did um, some study abroad in Australia, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, it's a, It was pretty much life-changing for me, you know, the, the stuff that I learned. So, um, and that was through uh, the School for Field Studies. 
Mm. I'm looking forward to, forward to our conversation later. Um, I think there's a lot about Australia that I don't know about. So I'm looking forward to learning from someone who's not a local, because I think that sometimes the people who live in a country, um, we don't explore where we are. Whereas people who come to our country, we, they, they learn so much. So I'm looking forward to that, um, and learning a bit more about where I live. Um, so thank you. Um, so moving on to our interview today, um, our first question is, how do you define household management? I think from a um, conservation standpoint, it's it's kind of having an understanding of what your carbon footprint is and, and making conscious decisions to reduce that footprint. Um, you, you know, it can be simple things like just turning off the lights or your electronics that you're not using, um, buying locally and com composting your waste. Um, not blasting the air conditioning in the in the summer, which is is really tempting, but there's some kind of green ways to to get around some of some of those things that um, we can talk about in more detail in a bit. Great, great. Looking forward to it. Um, in Australia, we do get quite hot in summer, um, so it is tempting to put the aircon on. Um, so looking forward to learning a few more ways to do it without turning the aircon on or. Uh, without having to, to turn the aircon on maybe quite as high. Um, so yeah, but what about some misconceptions about household management? Um, I I would say that some misconceptions are, you know, that you have to go and completely change your lifestyle and go green to to make an impact. And I, I just, I've learned over the years that, that you don't have to go off the grid and, and live in a cave to be environmentally conscious. You can make small decisions like um, in your everyday life that make a bigger difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And um, I hope we're going to talk about some of those today. Uh, great. Um, but I guess we want to start off our conversation with some definitions so we have a platform that uh, we can talk about. So um, what is land and soil con conservation? Um, so land and soil conservation, um, that's protecting um, the land and our resources, um, preventing it from development or excess extraction of materials and trying to, to conserve the resources, the nature there. Um, and that in turn impacts the soil too. So if you conserve a plot of land, um, a developer won't have access to to do a lot of excavation and alter the landscape. Or if you're using the land for farming, using sustainable farming practices um, just to prevent soil degradation. Um, I, I think that that land conservation and soil conservation go hand in hand. So, And other than conserving it, so I guess we have more of it, why, why should we do it? Why is it important? It's important because um, there's so many benefits to having green spaces. Um, you know, in, in urban cities, uh, especially like in the city of Pittsburgh, where I'm near, um, a lot of people and communities don't have access to green spaces. Um, green spaces have so many benefits in providing shade and concrete jungles, um, providing, it's even been proven to be therapeutic. Um, just being in nature around green spaces, um, you know, a place to walk and get exercise. Um, that's that's different from the the concrete jungle that that you're used to um, in the city. Um, 
those are all really important things um, beyond um, just the the natural resources, um, biodiversity, protecting sensitive species, and 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 um, sustainability in regions that you know might have um, suburban sprawl um, taking out some of those resources. So. Mm. And so I'm guessing that a land trust is something that protects, you know, um, the land for, um, for these reasons. And you said that you work for a um, Allegheny land trust. Do you mind explaining a bit more about land trusts? Yeah. So, um, I, I would say in the last few years, I've, I've learned a lot more about what land trusts do myself. Um, so I, I would define a land trust as a nonprofit organization, um, that that owns or holds a piece of land and the the land trusts that i work for and and the that are around the region and and um, across the united states they focus on on different aspects of conservation so um the kind of land that we protect in southwestern pennsylvania is going to be different than the land that they protect in colorado um so it's it, the the role of the land tr trust is basically just to strategically own or hold um, the rights to land um, so that it can be conserved. Mm -hmm. And I guess the the knowledge that you need for each land trust in each different region is going to be a little bit different. Absolutely, I've mm -hmm. um, attended a few uh, conservation um, alliance kind of um, gatherings and. You know, it's so interesting to hear the different perspectives of of um, different land trusts across the country. Um, land trusts, e even across the state of Pennsylvania, um, we do a lot of, of own, owning land and land trusts across the state will do a lot of um, holding the development rights. So that kind of goes into what a conservation easement is. Um, and I can define that. So conservation easement is, um, the transfer of development rights. So a landowner will still own that land, um, but they will transfer the right to develop the land, to do certain things with that land to the land trust. Um, and it does decrease the property value, but that land will then be conserved in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. So it would mean that you can't say develop, um, build, a, build, a, build a house or build, um, um, an office building or you can't farm what types of things can and can't you do on conservation easements and yeah um so we a lot of the conservation easements that we have um they usually do have a small home or a farmhouse and then some kind of farming um not all of them do but um so usually that's that kind of um work is allowed because it, it is um productive and and there are ways to do that without um, completely diminishing the conservation value of the land. Um, so that would be allowed. Um, each each conservation easement has a conservation easement agreement, um, and essentially in that legal agreement, it lays out specifically what you can and can't do, and that can be property specific, just depending on what the landowner is interested in doing with their property. Um, it can be pretty specific and strict sometimes. So um, if a landowner wants to build 
another house for one of the relatives. Usually we say we you can't do that um, in the conservation easement. It's going to take out so much land or, or, or trees or whatever. Um, so there there are some things that you can do. Um, and it's a pretty, it's, it's more of a, at least for us, it's more of a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. We encourage our landowners that we hold an easement on um, to come to us with questions about their land and say, you know, we want to build this this structure. We want to build a greenhouse. Can we do that? And um, just having that conversation, I think, is is important. Just to talk yeah. about the conservation values. Okay, but so you're saying that the owner, so the people still own the land, but they're not allowed to develop. What if they decide later on, you know, maybe they have kids, and the kids inherit the land? Can they take away that ease the conservation easement and say we want to develop a building now? Or is it forever owned by you and they can't do anything about it? We um, forever hold the easement. So um, any anyone that owns the land, whether they sell it to, or um, wh- whether it's handed down to their family or it's sold to a completely different person, um, that conservation easement stands in perpetuity. So they ha- would have to follow the same regulations. Okay. And you said that there is a decrease in land value when you um, do this. So why do people do this? It it seems like, um, at least the, the capitalist part of me is like, why would you do something to decrease the land and then you can never, I guess, sell, you know, it's going to say that you can't sell the land, you can't build things on there. Why would you do this? Yeah. Um, so a lot of there's kind of multiple reasons that that a landowner might want to place a conservation easement on their property. Um, one of the the big reasons that we see is, um, you know, a, a landowner owns this beautiful patch of woods, or they've had a farm in their in their family for years, and maybe they aren't able to continue to maintain that land or continue that farm. Um, and they would just hate to see it go to a developer, d- developer because um, that land is could be prime land to build, you know, apartment complexes or an office building. So they they want to see that land how they've always visioned it, how their family has always visioned it, and so they place a conservation easement on the land to prevent that land from being altered um, from how they knew and and grew, have grown to love. Um, so that's kind of the one big reason. Um, another reason is so if you um, if you sell or if you place a conservation easement on the property, um, as I mentioned, that decreases the property value. And when you do that, um, it will the landowners are potentially eligible for a federal tax deduction. So um, we encourage. We, we're not as a land trust we're not allowed to give legal or financial advice on that change in value but um, if a landowner is interested um, they can seek a qualified independent appraisal and then that value after the conservation easement um, that that value is considered donated value and so they can submit that the IRS for a um, t- tax deduction so it kind of gives relief relief for landowners who are seeking to um, kind of relieve, relieve um, some of the taxes that they have. 
Um, so there, there is a financial incentive of kind of doing this. Um, but I, I, I think that the, the, the biggest reason is just people want to see their land protected and, um, they might not be ready to sell it or they might want to give it to their kids, but they want to make sure that this land is the way that they Mm-hmm. The the tax and financial incentive is just a bonus for maybe a few people rather than the reason. Um, but protecting the land is the most important. Okay. And what happens to the land once it's been conserved and um, you're, you're in charge of it now? Yeah. So um, for conservation easements specifically, um, the landowner will continue to do what they do on their land, um, they would have to follow the regulations of the conservation easement. Um, and as a land trust that owns or that holds the easement, we're required to do monitoring um, yearly. So basically, we go to the property and just make sure that it's, you know, as it was intended in the conservation easement, um, things are okay. And we continue that that kind of relationship with the landowner, you know, how are things going? Um, how, how are, you know, are, is there any issues that you're facing with the conservation easement? We want that conversation to be open. And I think that builds a stronger relationship with the landowners and make sure that, that the land is continued to be conserved. And what kind of problems can, can the owners bring up? Yeah, um, uh, we kind of talked about before, like if they're interested in, you know, building another shed or another part to their barn or another house, um, they would have to talk to us about that first. Um, and depending on the restrictions of the conservation easement, um, we can accept or deny that. And um, we don't tell landowners, no, you can't do that. It's more of a, um, we, we don't allow this because it diminishes the conservation values. And we want to ensure that the vision continues to be conservation minded. And what happens if they do something that they weren't supposed to, like they decided to build a new barn or a new shed and they didn't check with you first? Um, I can't say I've ever seen that happen in, in my two years, not quite two years that I've worked for a land trust. Um, our stewardship team who manages properties after we place the easement on them can probably tell you some really exciting stories um, about things that have happened um, we we really just try to talk to the landowner and try to get an understanding of what's going on so that we don't get to that point um, I guess if something did happen and there was pushback from a landowner um, it could be a legal issue but like I said we never wanted to elevate to that position so we try to work with the landowner as best as we can. And, and usually the landowner and our vision kind of align. So it's not usually an issue for us. And I guess the people who are, um, you know, giving the land for the easement, they, they're doing it for a reason and they're wanting to work with you anyway. So they're probably not going to be trying to undermine you in any way for the Absolutely. most part. Yeah. <laughs> um, so other than that, um, so, Basically, you just um, let the land do its thing, or do you come in and um, 
you know, make sure that, you know, there are no invasive species? Do you come and do any like, you know, um, clearing of, I don't know if there's been a major fire, do you come and clear logs? What happen? what else happens on the land? Um, so I would say, uh, more for the land that we actually own, we do restoration work and, and kind of the clearing of invasive species. So, um, our stewardship team will, when we acquire land, um, come up with either a vision, uh, a vision plan or a, um, sort of, uh, documentation about what the current conditions are. Mm -hmm. Um, and from there, um, they can decide, you know, there's a lot of invasive species. Maybe we should do some work to get kind of mitigate that, or, uh, maybe there's some unsafe, you know, trees that need to be taken down and replaced. Um, or maybe they want to plant a wildflower meadow. Um, the, the opportunities are endless. Um, but we kind of look at, you know, what needs to be done, what could be done and where the funding is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure my stewardship team could explain it way better as I just, I, I mostly do the land acquisition kind of side of things, but, um, you know, there, there's those kind of things that we can do now mm-hmm. for conservation easements. Um, they do a baseline report, which basically describes the current conditions and just make sure that they continue to remain that way. Uh, if there is a problem, we will talk to the landowner and just try to get them to, you know, maybe amend something that's an issue. Um, I'm not sure specifically if we ever, you know, go on the land ourselves and do work just because they're the landowner. Um, mm-hmm. I think we encourage them more to do the work. Okay, interesting. So I guess it it is still up to the, the homeowners and the landowners to maintain the land, even though um, they have given you the conservation easement or they've, yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, and so how can, are there any other ways that, you know, households and landowners and um, land trusts can work together? Um, maybe if they don't have land for a conservation easement, um, what can they do to support um, land trusts and the land that they're conserving? So we get a lot of um, interested people in the community that will um, see a lot of vacant lot or a lot that's for sale. And, um, you know, a lot of times there's a story behind it. You know, they they have seen that lot and, and played on that lot when they were kids or their kids play on it or, you know, it was important to the community um, and they would just hate to see it, you know, raised over and, and developed. So. We get a lot of inquiries from just people in the community, um, kind of informing us of certain opportunities um, to conserve land. So that's always very helpful for us. Um, we try to stay um, as as, co- as conscious of, of all the opportunities that there are, but it, it's just sometimes it's impossible um, to know every land opportunity in Allegheny County. So. Um, we definitely rely on um, the eyes of landowners and um, communities um, to nominate those properties for us. Um, people can also, of course, donate financially to our projects. So for most of our projects, unless they're fully donations, um, we'll have to fundraise for those projects. And 
Um, we will submit um, some funding requests to um, agencies and foundations, but um, the community plays a really integral an integral port, part of um, funding a lot of our bigger projects. So um, we're always accepting of donations. Mm -hmm. And can can the public go on to some of your your um, land and not not obviously the ones that are owned by people, but can they go on there and I don't know go for bike rides, have picnics, that type of thing, or is it more um, we're not you're not you're not allowed to go on there to to protect um, animals and plants and things. We have a little bit of both. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I would say in the last year or two um, we've been trying to you know define what properties we're protecting um, there are some properties that we like to call premier properties that we definitely encourage people to come onto the property you know, walk the trails uh, enjoy nature um, we we have a lot of education and stewardship events on those properties um, they're very open to the public um, and we encourage people to come visit dust to dawn um then we kind of have a, a step more private from that which is um our conserved green spaces um conserved lands and so um we will have some trails um that people can walk on but it's not like we're having huge events or inviting um people to large groups of people to come to the property um and the the kind of third um tier that we have is just strictly conserved lands and so um those will be the properties that have sensitive species that we're trying to protect um you know maybe a, a dangerous cliff face that we don't want people getting hurt on um technically um you know it's technically public land, but we don't advertise it, and we just encourage people to be really careful and and not go on land um, to walk uh, because it can be dangerous, or because there's a a species that we're trying to protect. And if people want to find information about this type of thing, I mean, obviously, um, most people probably listening aren't going to be. Uh, did you say Pennsylvania? Yes. Yes, they're probably not going to be there. So, but in general, if people want to find out um, about more about land trusts and where they can visit, where they should visit, and where they really shouldn't visit. Um, do you have any like recommendations um, of um, how they can find this information out? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if there's like a, a one-stop shop to finding um, conserved lands from a land trust. Um, you can always look to see if your um, your city, your county, your area, municipality, if they have a land trust, um, and and usually their their information page um, or website will have some information about the properties they protect and advice on how to get there and kind of get the most out of your your visit. Um, on our website, we have a, a map that shows all of our protected lands. And then we have specifically which ones we recommend. Um, you know, if people want to go and walk their dog, they can they can do it on this property. Or uh, if they want to go birding, it's excellent to do on this property. Uh, or if they're interested in hunting and they want to get a um, hunting permit from us and then go on this property and hunt, um, 
if it's excellent for hunting or um if if we recommend um you know it's just i i it's important to you know kind of convey that information because we do get a lot of questions but um i would suggest yeah checking your um to see if there's a local land trust or um you know a simple google search for you know conserved lands or, or green spaces might find something for you so because mm. i've never thought about land trusts myself until um you know preparing for this uh, conversation and so i don't know if we have land trusts in australia or um if we do, I don't know if there's one around me. Um, I would just personally look at the council website and I don't know if that's particularly useful for this type of information. So thank you for sparing this. Um, I'm going to be having a look to see um, what areas I can and can't walk. And um, maybe if I wanna go birding, I'll try that out somewhere nearby. Um, are there any like, you know, misconceptions that people have about um, land conservation and land trusts? Um, I'd say the biggest uh, misconception is that we are anti-development. Um, that's not exactly the case, I would say. I would say we're more conscious about development. Um, we don't want um, you know, green spaces that have conservation values to be just completely eliminated. Um, we want strategic planning um, for development. So in the city of Pittsburgh and the suburbs, there's plenty of already developed spaces that are available and that could be um, transitioned into, you know, what a developer is kind of looking for. So I would say we, we would say, instead of going for that really nice you know, woods down the road, why not look at the, the, uh, you know, the abandoned building down the street that, that could be converted into, you know, whatever you're looking to develop. So just, just being conscious of what you're getting rid of and, and, um, making sure that people have access to those green spaces and it's not just all development. I think that's our, our goal. Some of my favorite developments are commercial buildings that they've converted into interesting apartment spaces. Um, the one near me is uh, Pentridge Prison, which they used to be a prison and now is an apartment complex. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my partner, we're actually we're looking for places to rent and he refuses to look in Pentridge because uh, <laughs> he doesn't want to live in a prison. But um, I think it's a great use of the space because what else are we going to do with it? Um, otherwise it's just this big block of land that people don't want to use. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Redevelopment of, of previously developed land is, is such a, um, you know, it has a greater impact than you'd think, you know, because not only are you not taking out green space, but you're also revitalizing the community. Um, mm. you're, you're bringing resources, um, to places that need them, um, still without, you know, taking out the, the other resources that we overlook. Definitely. They brought a cinema to our area and I was very excited about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm. They're, they're disappearing, um, from, uh, from, I would say the States, uh, at least around, um, Pennsylvania, you, you 
a lot of movie theaters, you don't see them just because people like to stream movies now. So, but I think going to a movie and getting that experience is always special. So, yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's, it's obviously much easier to sit at home and stream, but I think there is no comparable experience to watching, you know, if, particularly some of those big movies, um, you know, together in an audience with this big screen. Um, and I can't, I can't see myself not going to the cinema again. Absolutely. Mm. And so what about if you are a homeowner, you have some land, um, but you don't want to go into a conservation easement with um, a land trust, but you still want to do something with your land. Uh, what kinds of things can you do? Yeah, so you can, um, one of the things that you can do is uh, tree planting. Um, last spring, actually, uh, my family and I planted some trees in our yard. Um, and we did a little research about, you know, what are some, some good trees to plant in the area and um, how can we kind of nurture those trees to, to grow and um, be productive. So um, I think if, if you have that ability to, to plant some trees, um, definitely um, one way that you can help uh, kind of make sure that your, your land is, is green. Um, I, another thing that, that, might sound kind of silly, but I, I do it every year, um, is around May and June. Um, you know, a lot of people around here like to mow their grass weekly. Um, I'll go several weeks without mowing, just letting that kind of the wildflowers and the natural foliage just kind of come up and um, letting those pollinators kind of have access to that. Um, during those months, I think is really important. So doing little things like that, um, you could create um, a, a small garden where you grow your own um, produce. And on the side, you could have a, a compost bin, put um, some of your waste in there and then use that soil for your, for your um, garden. So I think there's lots of ways that, that you can kind of, you know, have property and and maintain it as as a um, as a environmentally friendly space without necessarily putting that easement on the land, uh, and just having your own vision, I think, is is really rewarding. That's so interesting, and I love the idea of um, people who don't mow their lawns, who forget to mow their lawns, um, who can't be bothered, are too busy. They're actually helping um, they're helping the environment in a way. Um, I love that. And it actually makes me think, um, so last week when I spoke to Julie, she was saying that um, she she really likes this, like lazy um, gardening where everything kind of takes care of itself um, because you're using um, plants and um, attracting animals that are native to the area. So they don't require as much care as traditional gardens. Um, so yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I think it sounds so much easier than um, you know, my dad who has to prune his roses and mow his lawn um, every week or something, planting <laughs> daffodils um, at the beginning of every spring because they don't survive um, or they don't, I think that they just have a lifespan of a year or something. Um, so yeah, and if you want to learn more about this topic, um, 
listen to um, our episode last week with Julie because uh, she has lots and lots of um, information about um, what you can do um, on your property to you know promote um, land conservation and yeah native species. Great. Um, yeah. I was going to mention and, and also give a plug for Julie that I think every month she does a, a, a free webinar um, which she has on our Facebook page, um, Allegheny Land Trust's uh, Facebook page um, that you can watch um, and it's also recorded. So if you're not able to make the actual um, the actual webinar, you can always watch the recording and it's always something interesting about sustainability at home. Mm, yes, she she spoke a bit about that, and um, I do need to get onto that and have a look because I'm very interested in this. Um, but yes, um, we we'll, we will put that into the show notes so you can find that easily. Um, and again, um, we'll have all of that information as well on last week's uh, show notes and more information in the in last week's show as well. So, do you have any like interesting facts about land conservation that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I. Um, love to stress the urgency of conserving land, especially in Allegheny County, where there's a lot of um, suburban sprawl and um, development. So, um, interestingly, from 1960 to 2014, we've seen um, a 25% decrease in the population. But on the other hand, we've seen 69% of the land in Allegheny County increase that developed land, I'm sorry. So we're, we're kind of seeing this interesting trend of people not living in the city and the suburbs so much, but actually more development going in. Um, so with that trend, um, we're seeing uh, three square miles per year, um, three square miles per year of green space lost. And so what we're trying to do is um, increase, ramp up the amount of land that we conserve. Um, in 2030, we're hoping to have green space accessible to um, everyone within a 10 minute walk. Um, that's kind of a big thing that we're trying to do. Um, and then also ramping it up to 2000 acres per year conserve, um, which is a, a lot, a, a big push for us, but um, it's, it's going to be you know, have a wonderful impact, I think, on communities. So um, right now we currently have over 3,600 acres protected. Um, last year we, we protected over 300 acres and we're looking at protecting um, at least that amount this year. Um, mm -hmm. Always looking for, for big projects. So, um, and to kind of give you a, a better understanding, I'm not sure how in Australia you guys measure land um, but I think one acre is about um, 4,000, a little over 4,000 square kilometers. So I don't know if that's kind of how you measure land there or. I've, I've got to say that um, I'm, I'm not super great with that uh, because I, I, I'm a city girl. I, I live in the city. I don't have to understand land that big, honestly. But I'm sure that there's someone in the listeners who is saying, yes, it's exactly this number um, is equivalent to this. And thank you for telling me what it is because um, they understand. But um, I understand everything in meters. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, living in an apartment, I don't 
really think about you know how much an acre is or how much a hectare is because um, everything I have is in uh, square meters. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I I sometimes struggle to to envision what an acre looks like, but it's it's becoming easier looking at mm-hmm. surveys and, and land, you know, for my job every day. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really important in preventing floods and landslides and everything. So it's really protecting ourselves, um, land conservation. Absolutely. And as, as climate change becomes more and more um, intense and sometimes even unpredictable, um, we want to make sure that we're conserving that land um, mm-hmm. and doing the most that we can. Mm, great. Yeah, very important. Um, and thank you for that. Um, so we'll move on to the practice habit debrief, um, which is where we talk about something that you do in your own life. Um, that um, So what is a practice that you do to manage your land or your home? Yeah, so I, I kind of mentioned about um, planting the trees uh, last, last spring. Uh, we planted about 10 trees in our yard. Um, not only is that good um, for the most known reasons of being out, creating oxygen carbon um it also interestingly can have a a really good impact on um as i kind of mentioned earlier um the kind of the temperature management in your home so if you have trees that are surrounding your home um that can decrease the temperature in that area and um then you might not necessarily need to rely on um you know, air conditioning all the time or, or blasting it all the time. So that's one kind of interesting thing. Um, of course you can grow trees that produce fruit and, and harvest that fruit. And then aesthetically, I think it's just really nice to have land that, that has a mixture of foliage and isn't just a, a green mowed yard. Um, I think that, that, you know, planting trees is just so wonderful for so many reasons. So, mm. And, but I, I guess there would be some amount of maintenance or problems with, with trees because they're so large. Um, are there any things you can do to help mitigate these problems? Yeah. Um, so when we planted our trees, uh, we kind of put some uh, mulch around it just to prevent um, some competitive weeds kind of taking over. Um, we have a lot of deer in the area that, that are... Um, looking for a tasty snack um so we put a little bit of a um a tree tube covering over it just to protect it um and then on the on the top of the tree tube we'll put a a wire mesh and so uh, one of the big problems with tree tubes that that you can run into are birds or or other animals will get stuck in the tree tubes and aren't able to get out and so putting that that wire mesh on the top kind of prevents any of that from happening um, and then as the tree grows, uh, you know, they'll outgrow the tube or, um, you might need to remove that, that covering the, what the mesh covering. So it, it is an active kind of, uh, job to do. Um, I know our stewardship team has, has planted acres of, of trees and had relied on volunteers to go out there and kind of manage those trees and make sure the tubes are working and taking off the uh, coverings. So it is a lot of work, but it, it's definitely rewarding. Mm. 
And um, was there anything else that you'd recommend? Um, you mentioned before that um, there are some ways that we can uh, reduce the temperature of our houses and you mentioned trees as one of them. Was there anything else um, that you'd recommend there? Yeah, um, you can always, so uh, make sure that your windows have blinds so you're not letting in the, the hot sunlight. Um, uh, if it is a little warm, you know, that might be okay. But if it's, if it's blasting heat outside, you know, maybe you, you do need to rely on the air conditioning. Um, just kind of picking the days, um, that you, you're relying on it and trying not to be over-reliant on it, I think is, is helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So 40 degree day, uh, which is, I believe over like a hundred Fahrenheit. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that sounds about that's- right. That's 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 when you want to be using the um, the um, air conditioner. But when it's you know a mild thirty, you should be fine. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, so we'll move on to the open mic now, and you were going to talk about a topic that is close to me, literally, um, and you're going to talk about your time in Australia. Um, so, um, why did you come to Australia? Um, so I was always interested, you know, kind of seeing different parts of the world. Um, I had never been outside of the country before. So, um, I was looking for opportunities and I, I, my cousin at the time was, was doing some traveling and she had been in, I forget specifically which part of Australia, it might've been the gold coast, um, that she visited, but I just saw the pictures and was blown away with how beautiful Australia is. <laughs> so it was my goal to, to, you know, kind of incorporate that into my studies in college. Um, so I spent some time working and looking and planning to kind of make that trip possible. And um, it was before COVID, so it was the summer of 2019. Um, I made the trip and met up with some other students that were they were all American students, but um, uh, all from all over the country. So we weren't, we, we were just getting to know each other. Um, got up, got off the plane, waited in the airport, um, took a took a van. So we were, the, the station that we were staying at um, was located between Cairns and Yogabura um, in the Atherton Tablelands. So we were, it was about a, 45 minute um, drive up this windy road to get to our, our research or to get to the woods, the rainforest, and then another 15 to 20 minute drive through the forest to get to the cabins in the research station. So um, we were almost pretty much in the middle of nowhere, I felt like, <laughs> which was a big shock um, for being somewhere that you're not familiar. But um, it was such a life changing experience, you know. Uh, just bonding with other classmates and some of the professors over the month that we were stationed out there and, you know, walking through the woods and learning about uh, different species there and um, different strategies for for combating environmental issues. We focused a lot on uh, flood mitigation. And then another component was going to see and study the Great Barrier Reef, which I think everyone should do in their lifetime, just blew my mind, uh, blew me away seeing the reef and 
kind of swimming through those those coves, I think, was just something that'll a memory that'll stick with me forever. So um, it was a wonderful experience. Learned so much about you know water quality and mitigation strategies, and and I have so much respect for Australia. They have so many environmental procedures in place, like uh, you know getting rid of plastic bags, and uh, you know even. All, all of their toilets have have different flush settings for conserving water, and I'm thinking, why don't we have that in America? We never see that. <laughs> so uh, it's just so much. It's it's it was such a wonderful experience, you know, uh, learning about not only the environmental side but the culture in the area, and just being somewhere that you know I've never been before. And so I think that really pushed me and and out of my comfort zone and really got me interested into traveling. So this fall, I'm, I'm tri- uh, planning a trip now that COVID's kind of settled down a little bit more. I'm planning a trip to um, Germany and Poland. And um, hopefully um, in Poland, I know that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of mining. So I'm hoping to see, you know, the, the environmental conditions there and if there are any environmental regulations going on or um, you know, environmental issues there with the water quality as a result of the mining. So um, I, I think that experience really stuck with me and it made me more conscious of, of you know, when I'm traveling, I see environmental things now. Um, Interesting. It's not just, it's not just you know, going for, for uh, leisure. It's, it's, you know, I'm always in that mindset of, you know, what am I seeing? So, and how is it different from how? So, mm-hmm. so this Germany-Poland trip, is it just for leisure or is it a research trip? This is for um, leisure. I'm, I'm going to visit a, a few friends in, in Berlin, um, but mm-hmm. um, I, I'm going to have a lot of time to explore some of the parks there and, and some of the cultural areas. And um, especially in Poland, I have a lot of uh, trips planned to different environmental um, areas and, and crater lakes and that kind of stuff. So. I'm just hoping to to get a little little bit of um, informal research in there, maybe. So <laughs> I can just imagine um, look you looking like you know a tourist with your camera and walking up to this mining site in Poland and just being like, "So, what's the water quality like here?" <laughs> That's probably me. <laughs> yep. I mean, look. Ev- um, it's 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 a good way to travel i think everyone's got their own ways of travel and if it's something that you're interested in i mean why not it it certainly makes your trip different from everyone else's yep Mm. sounds like um yeah you're gonna have a great trip um so um yeah um travel safe um have fun and yeah thanks for uh teaching me a bit more about australia um i have not been to the great barrier reef myself um just um, one of those things where it's like, well, when I can travel, I want to travel overseas. Yeah. And probably probably should do a bit more traveling around Australia, particularly to the Great Barrier Reef, which I believe isn't doing so well. And I'd like to yeah. see it before. Before it's gone, before it's unfortunately. Gone. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so thank you. Um, and if our listeners want to find out more about you and Allegheny Land Trust, uh, where can they find you? We have um, a, a website, AlleghenyLandTrust.org. 
Um, but we're also on social media. So you'll find us on Instagram, um, Facebook, and I'm not sure if there are others, but those are our primary uh, social media that you can see what we're doing and catch up on our events. Mm -hmm. And if you want to find out um, all of those links and more, um, we'll have them in the show notes for everyone. And uh, don't forget that this is part two of two episodes about land conservation. Uh, so if you liked this episode, you can find the previous episodes where I spoke to Julie Travellini about flooding native plants and how to bring wildlife into your garden on our episode about sustainable home landscaping, balancing responsible land use and environmental conservation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Casey. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you, Gabrielle. I appreciate it. You've been listening to On The House, produced by the Household Management Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smart devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps other people find it so we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at hm.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Gabriella Yastra. Thanks for tuning in.